Sing it with me. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Alright, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Wayward Podcast, where we learn to live life on the way of God's Word. If you are returning here after listening to our previous episode on Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, which is the Good Samaritan parable, then you are caught up and ready to go. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I invite you to go back, listen to it first, and then come right back here for the follow-up. I promise it'll be fun. All right, so one of the simplest ways to study Scripture, a Scripture text, is to approach it in three stages. One, observation. Two, interpretation. And three, application. Now, our previous episode was all about the observation. Just sitting down with the text and taking in everything that's going on, observing everything, getting a feel for the for the details, those the you know kind of the who, what, when, where, why, how questions. And I think by the end of the, our by the end of our previous episode, I think we had a pretty good grasp on a lot of those details. But by answering those details and the questions that came with it. And understanding how all those details connect, new questions began to emerge. For example, in verse 30, the verse on which the whole text pivots, uh, when we observe that the law experts question, who is my neighbor? When When we realize or observe that that question is what shifts this whole interaction and incites the parable that Jesus begins to tell, a bunch of other questions begin to emerge. Questions like, why did the law expert suddenly need to vindicate himself? Especially after Jesus had already affirmed his correct answer. Uh, who is the law expert's neighbor? How does this story and its characters correlate to the law expert? How is Jesus trying to challenge the law expert through this story? So, answering these questions is one of the ways that we attempt to interpret the text and discern the messages that are really being conveyed. And the way that I'm trying to approach this interpretation is I'm going to try and carefully line up different parts of the text uh, the text that we looked at previously, line them up alongside one another. There's the first part where Jesus is just interacting with the law expert, and then there's the second part where Jesus uh, begins to get into the parable. And I'm going to line up these 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 uh, these texts a- alongside each other, and then bounce back and forth between their correlating details. And what I kind of have, when I what I hope 
uh, emerges is something of a nexus of overlapping interpretations. I hope that something like that begins to emerge, and hopefully from those things we can begin to uh, get some answers to some of the questions that this text has raised. So, so let us begin our interpretation for today. Uh, first, let's start with the setting of Jesus's parable. Jesus begins the parable with a detail that is meant to draw his listener into the text, into the story. And that detail is a road. And not just any road, but a familiar road. And that road, in verse 30, is a stretch between Jerusalem and Jericho. And as a law expert, our guy would have probably traveled this road many times before. So by including this detail, we can see that Jesus is contextualizing the story for the law expert. He's giving the law expert something familiar to visualize. But here's something else. It kind of adds a, an added dimension that's interesting. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it reads that Jesus was now on his journey towards Jerusalem. So this may suggest that Jesus and the law expert at that moment were actually on that road, or at least they were located at a spot that would eventually come to this particular stretch of road. And if that's the case, then Jesus is doing more than just contextualizing. He's visually creating a sense of empathy and immediacy. It's like the law expert is being imaginatively transported or inserted into this scene as a participant to be affected by what he is seeing and compelled to think critically about what it means and to eventually act upon it in his choices. I was kind of thinking uh, when I was putting this together, it's almost kind of similar to Charles Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol about the ghosts or of Christmas uh, past, present, and future who take Scrooge to a particular scene and uh, let them just take it all in and, and allow them to see the scene and allow it to impact them or impact Scrooge and, and shape his choices for later. So in a way, in this story, it's almost like Jesus is acting as a tour guide for the law expert uh, who uh, is seeing this story unfold that Jesus is sharing. So it's all about clarity. Jesus knows that seeing is a prerequisite to doing. So he's helping the law expert to see. So now we come to what Jesus wanted him to see. And what he sees in this story is a man traveling on that road in verse 30. And this guy, he gets jumped, he gets beaten, he gets robbed by bandits, and he gets left for dead. Now, given the question that the law expert asked in uh, verse 29, and the way Jesus begins his parable in verse 30, it kind of stands to reason that this man who was brutalized on the side of the road is the answer to the man's question. And yet Jesus doesn't focus on the man. Out of all the characters in the parable, the victim is the only one who is not described. 
And unlike the other characters, we don't know about this man's role, his job, his tribe, or his nationality. All we know about this traveler is that he took a beating. That he was traveling on this road, and that he he was jumped, he was humiliated, he was wounded, and he was left for dead. That's all we know. And since the parable was prompted by the law expert's question, and the victim, this victim, he kind of seems like the most plausible answer to this question, you might think that Jesus would spend more time focusing on this roadside victim. But instead, Jesus moves on from this setting to a more complex story, which raises the point that if Jesus were just trying to directly answer the man's question, the story would have gone like a man got beaten up and another man came along, saw he was hurt, and helped him. The end. That's how the story would have gone if Jesus was only giving a direct answer to the man's question. But since he doesn't, at least for right now, we are left with the possibility that there is more to Jesus's point. And perhaps a part of that point is that Jesus is trying to address why the law expert felt the need to vindicate himself in the first place. So, as we move beyond the setting to the larger story, we encounter three characters. The first character is a priest. The priest comes along, the priest sees the injured man, and then the priest passes by on the other side. Now, the text lists no motive for the priest passing the man by, so we have to rely on the details that are available to us. And one possible reason often suggested is that since the law warns that touching a dead body will render one unclean, the priest must not have wanted to corrupt himself. I find this unlikely. Burial practices were a priority for Jews. In Deuteronomy, burial was held as an, as an urgent thing. And the Talmud makes burial, burial even of strangers, an obligation for all the Jewish community, which priests were not exempt from. There's nothing to suggest this priest in the story is an unrighteous priest who would ignore the law. But ultimately, the suggestion is moot anyway because the man on the road is not yet dead. So, a concern for uncleanliness was not this priest's reason for passing by. So what was? One other interpretive detail that is available to us is how the book of Luke talks about priests. Luke doesn't view priests as inherently evil or bad, because they did provide an important ministry within the community. But Luke is also distinctly aware of how the priesthood could experience prideful or corruptive tendencies. The priests were part of an ancestral heritage. They were responsible for practicing and protecting the law, and they were frequently lauded within the land for their own exemplary righteousness and service. In other words, the priests enjoyed a status that practically elevated them above the rest of the community. 
Yes, some priests would use that position as an opportunity to serve, like Zechariah in Luke 1. But there were others who used this position to lord over the community. And we see the most violent version of this later on when the chief priests conspire to kill Jesus. So with this in mind, it's possible that this priest who passed the injured man on the road believed that his elevated status or his station had created a kind of space or buffer that released him or kind of gave him a loophole uh, from such work. Possibly in a practical way, uh, maybe a sort of condescending venting way, Maybe he's kind of think, uh, walking along the road and he kind of thinks to himself, I spend so much time serving in ministry that it's, that it's time for others to learn to serve. And so he walks on by. Maybe he's hoping someone else along the roadside will do their, their good deed for the day and help the man. It's a possibility. Now, how might this relate to the law expert Jesus is telling the story to? Much like the priest in Jesus' parable, this law expert probably enjoys something of a higher status amongst his priestly peers, or a higher regard in view of the common people. And it's quite possible that he viewed his own faithfulness to the law, or righteousness before the law, or even his righteousness by association with his fellow priests as good enough, that he shared in this supposed exemption or excusal from more laborious expressions of love. And if we think of it like that, I don't think that Jesus' inclusion of the priest in this story was an accident. I think Jesus did this on purpose. The inclusion of the priest is Jesus' way of holding up a mirror to the law expert. Jesus started this story because the law expert was hesitant about something that loving God and loving people required him to do. This storyline about the priest passing by is Jesus' way of showing what hesitating or refraining from loving God and loving people looks like. Jesus' inclusion of the priest who passes by is one of the ways Jesus is addressing the conflict going on in the law expert's heart. But the priest isn't the only character to be encountered. The second character that we meet in this story is a Levite. And like the priest, the Levite came to this place and he saw the injured man and passed by on the other side. Now again, the text lists no motive for why the Levite passed by. At first, in a sense, it may seem like the Levite is included in the story as maybe maybe just a way to extend the point that Jesus was already making but the pre with the priest. But I believe that further examination will show us that there is more to it. While the Levites were one of the tribes of Israel, they were unique amongst the tribes. God chose the Levites to act in the role of ministers to the rest of the tribes. 
Some of the Levites, specifically those from Aaron's line, served as priests. The rest of the Levites served as stewards of the tabernacle, its furnishings, its tools, and later the temple. So even though many of the Levites were not priests, they were still a part of an ancestral heritage. And the primary defining function of their heritage was holiness. Being from the tribe of Levi means you are from the tribe that shows everyone how holiness is done. Law-shaped holiness was something that had become a priority in post-exile Judea. As the Greeks had brought their Greek culture, and now the Romans theirs, Judea was gradually becoming a land where holiness was being compromised and corruption was being normalized. If the Levites didn't draw lands in this... It, let me rephrase that one more time. If the Levites didn't draw lines in the sand, who would? Now, if it sounds like I'm suggesting that the Le that the reason that this Levite passed the injured man by is because he was practicing holiness? It's because I am. And you might understandably ask, you know, loving God equals not loving people? How does that even make sense? Well, I'm glad you asked. One of the intertestamental books is the book of Sirach. And Sirach is a collection of Jewish ethical teachings written during the time when Judea was under siege by the Greek culture. And these teachings were written as a way to keep righteous Jews pure from the corruption of Greek culture. And these teachings, they would have been fairly well, fairly well known by the law expert. Now consider the following passage from Sirach chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. If you do good, know to whom you do it, and you will be thanked for your good deeds. Do good to the devout, and you will be repaid. If not by them, certainly by the Most High. No good comes to one who persists in evil or to one who does not give alms. Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back their bread, and do not give it to them, for by means of it they might subdue you. Then you will receive twice as much evil for all the good you have done to them. For the Most High also hates sinners and will inflict punishment on the ungodly. Give to the one who is good, but do not help the sinner. Concern for corruption of law-shaped holiness had so greatly intensified in this period that these Jewish teachers were encouraging the righteous Jews to not give aid to those in need, because it was hypothesized that they were in need in the first place because they had probably committed some kind of sin. So in this sense, holiness could mean passing an injured person by. 
In one sense, it can sound like outrageous logic, but in another sense, you know it's possible. You can, you can imagine a person so devoted to such a standard that when he sees another's injury, his first thought could be, eh, he probably deserved it. Hey, that's, that's why you don't travel alone. Hey, man, you reap what you sow. Now, I don't want to stoop to the easy, lazy interpretation that the Levite was just a jerk. Because in their context, and in their wisdom at that time, their concern for cultural holiness required lines to be drawn and limits to be set. Lines and limits that separated them from the evil in the world. And if there was a chance that this injured man on the road had somehow been involved in some kind of evil, or maybe was a robber himself who got what was coming to him, maybe his fellow robbers turned against him, then these, then drawing these kinds of lines and creating these limits is what is going to protect the holy standards that are being threatened in Judea. Now, how might this relate to the law expert that Jesus is telling the story to? Right before the law expert felt the need to, invent, to, to, uh, to vindicate himself, he had answered Jesus' question in verse 27 by quoting both Deuteronomy and Leviticus. The verse he quoted, Leviticus 19.18, is part of a larger section of communal ethics for holy living, practicing justice, loving your neighbor, loving the residential aliens. The verse rejects vengeance or grudges and instead commands a love for neighbor that is likened to the love we show ourselves. Now, there are at least two related reasons the law expert may have been struggling with this. One reason is a possible us-versus-them attitude. In these tense times when the holy standards were under siege in Judea and the Levites' sense of righteousness required the devout to draw lines and create limits, one of the side effects to emerge would be an us-versus-them attitude. And this attitude, it would be nurtured through their tribal heritage and their community. It would be nurtured while they served in the temple. And as Jesus' parable illustrates, it would be nurtured out in the everyday settings of the world. So it is very possible that this us-versus-them attitude was a part of what the law expert was struggling with. A second reason that comes into play here is that in these times, in this context, loving the neighbor or loving the resident alien as yourself meant possibly showing hospitality to the Greeks and the Romans. The Greeks, whose impure culture was sullying the law's holy standard, and the Romans, whose military might now occupied their land. These groups represented every bit of hostility and hardship, persecution and pain that Jews had been experiencing and enduring and resisting for generations now. And the thought of showing Greeks and Romans 
hospitality was tantamount to giving aid to the enemy and betraying not only the people, but God. These groups of Greeks and Romans were the very reason for the resentment that had built up in in the hearts of those who sought to keep God's law. So yeah, when Jesus affirmed his earlier answer to love your neighbor, you might be able to see why our law experts suddenly experienced hesitation within his heart and desired to vindicate himself or justify himself within the lines or the limits he was comfortable with. And if this interpretation is plausible, then again, we can see why Jesus included this Levite character. Much like the priest, Jesus is holding up a mirror to the law expert. He's trying to show him that holiness and mercilessness are incongruent. Since Jesus' gospel can be practically boiled down to love God, love people, Jesus is trying to show the law expert what drawing those lines and setting those limits on gospel love looks like. It looks like cruelty, not kindness. It's an act of indifference that is in compliance with what the robbers did to the man. The law expert had asked, what must I do to inherit the blessed life? Jesus' inclusion of the Levite in his story is showing him that he needs to stop adhering to the lines and limits that withhold the gospel love Jesus was there to share. So if this case of limiting love was the law expert's struggle, How is Jesus going to ultimately liberate him from these limits his heart has become fixated on? By introducing a third character into his story. And that is where we will conclude for today. We will continue this conversation tomorrow in part two of this interpretation. I thank you very much for joining me here today on the Wayward Podcast, where we learn to live life on the way of God's Word. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior.